Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount and how we can apply it to our lives. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to subscribe to this podcast. If you're anything like me, then you have a whole bunch of podcasts that you find really valuable for your life. But if you don't subscribe, then you probably don't listen to those podcasts. Subscribing is free, and if you'll do it, then every Tuesday after we upload these sermons online, you'll get a little notification from your podcast player telling you that we have a new episode online. And so I really, really do hope that you'll subscribe. I think it would be helpful for you in remembering to listen to these sermons. At the same time, if you find these sermons to be valuable, then I also would hope that you would leave us a rating and or review. I was recently reminded about the power of sermons going out into the internet. On Instagram, we asked a question, how did you hear about our church? And we were surprised when somebody simply responded by saying podcast. And so we probed a little bit further and this woman had searched for something specific in a podcast player and she had found our sermons and she's been listening to them ever since. Here's the reality. When you leave a rating and review on our podcast, it helps for more stories like this to happen. It helps more people find our sermons and listen to them, and hopefully then they are impacted by the things that we preach. And so I just hope that you'll consider at least taking just a minute to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast at. We would sincerely appreciate it. Again, I thank you for listening, and I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. We are moving into uh, the Christmas season, but God's just doing a ton of stuff all at once at our church, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but we we have been praying for a, a new, bigger trailer, and God has answered that prayer. We now own a 24-foot trailer. Uh, we've been joking we could do church in it, and, uh, and it's huge. It was like driving a semi-truck trying to get it back from Oregon City without a license. Uh, and so we, we haven't paid them for that. We just own it now, uh, and so we're just going to run and start somewhere else. No, uh, if you want to donate to that, uh, you still can on our Facebook page. Uh, we still need to raise about $1,200 uh, in order to pay them $1,200 out of the money we have in the bank. Um, and so please donate. Uh, next week, this is so exciting too, uh, we are baptizing four people here uh, and we're, we're excited to do that. They'll be right here in the feeding trough that we use as a, as a baptismal. It's never been used for animals. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that, and I just want to throw it out there one more time. If you are interested in getting baptized, if you want to know why we baptize people, if you know that God has laid upon your heart to baptize, uh, to be baptized, then uh, there's those response cards right in those same blue bins with the visitor cards that were mentioned earlier. Fill one of those out. Mark the, I'm interested in getting baptized, and I will email you so quickly, you won't even know what hit you. I'll probably do it before this service is over. Uh, drop those in the offering basket at the end and let's have a chat about whether or not that's you know the right thing for you right now or not uh, I would love to do that and and then we have all this Christmas stuff coming up and so it's all of this good stuff and here's what happens to me in the midst of all these great things big segue ready I just stress out I'm just worried I I, I worry all the time I remember this conversation 
with my wife. I don't know if we were even married yet, but really early on in our relationship. And, and I was like, you know, like you feel stressed. And she's like, I don't feel like that. I was like, I always feel like that. Like I always am stressed. I'm always worried. I'm always, you know, nervous about something. Like there is hardly a time where I'm not, whether it's, you know, baptisms and and making sure that we get the water filled up, which is easier said than done when you're a mobile church or a new trailer and, you know, how we're going to get the other church's logo off the side of it, something that I've thought about during this church service. I can just do things right now. The live stream back there, the lyrics aren't going to it. That's bothering me right now. I'm a little stressed about what people will think about that. The volume was a little low. We got a text message. I mean, I could just go on and on and on of all the things that I've worried about when I'm about to preach about worry. It's really, unhealthy and in fact uh, they tell me the experts that it's actually really really unhealthy Uh, but everybody does it I I think or at least you know you don't do it as much as me Uh, Bryn I've talked into the whole idea Uh, but uh, but but let's just do a little I'm going to ask you to actually raise your hands I know sometimes we I say don't actually answer this out loud because it'd be embarrassing but this one we'll, we'll just all do it on one at once right who here worries at least occasionally it's every person, even the kid over there. Uh, um, so yeah, we get it from, that's a great illustration. I should have brought you up here. Uh, from the time we're, we're really young, uh, we, we learn to worry. We learn to be stressed. We're anxious about things. I'll use those things synonymously in this sermon. And here's what Time Magazine said in 1961. Not merely the black statistics of murder, suicide, alcoholism, and divorce betray anxiety, but almost any innocent everyday act, the limp or overhearty handshake, the second pack of cigarettes or the third martini, the forgotten appointment, the stammer in mid-sentence, the wasted hour before the TV set, the spanked child, the new car unpaid for. So Time Magazine way back, you know, back when people were smoking two packs of cigarettes and drinking three martinis on a normal, in a normal schedule, uh, back then Time Magazine, they, they, they identified, and, and rightfully I think, uh, that, that worry affects us in negative ways far beyond, you know, that feeling that you kind of get in your stomach. It, it affects almost every part of, of our lives, uh, Lots of people have talked about the things that anxiety, that worry do to us. And I want to list some of those things for you right now. Uh, Difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling and twitching, acne, insomnia, weakened sex drive, higher blood sugar, Uh, But those are the things that happen right when you're worrying. Over time, here's some more things. Suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature artery disease, heart attack, premature aging. I really feel like I need to sit down because I'm so stressed about all the things that are taking place in my body. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic says, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. And I've never met a man or knew a man to die of overwork, but I've sure known a lot who died of worry. Worry is literally killing us, right? And it seems like today we have as much to be stressed out as ever before. But here's what's so weird about worry is we all just kind of embrace it as this normal thing even though it's so terrible for us. It's one of the few things, I think, societal things that we just don't seem to to care about even though it 
it affects us so horribly and in so many different ways. And here's, here's what's so cool is, is that Jesus, maybe unlike us, he seems to care about it. He seems to really care about worry. And, and in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying for a handful of weeks now, at the very end of chapter 6, the last sermon I'll do in this series, uh, we see Jesus speak, sorry for that noise, speak directly into uh, the topic of worry. And, and he says a lot. He says so much, in fact, that in, uh, in my life, I've actually preached two full sermon series on, on this passage of Scripture. And, and you can listen to one of those on our website. If you go to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash flowers-birds. I know it's a terrible URL we created, but uh, flowers-birds. You can go there and, and you, can, you can hear all of those sermons. And basically what this sermon is, is me just scrunching them all down and making a casserole out of it And since it's Christmas season and, and trying to deliver you the things that I've learned from this passage through the years. And here's how Jesus begins this section on worry. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Therefore, in the Sermon on the Mount, almost doesn't feel important because Jesus seemingly is is switching subjects so rapidly. I mean, he's moving from one topic to another quickly. But here, I think the therefore is really important because if if you've been here for this series, then you know this, but if you haven't, Jesus has talked about prayer. He's talked about giving up food for fasting. He's talked about giving up money for the purpose of ministry and helping others. He's told us that our focus should be heavenly, heavenward and, and not, based on, on, not on the things that we can see and t- touch and taste and feel. Basically, Jesus has told us to, to to sacrifice all the things that we worry about having enough of, right? He's like, hey, I want your time and I want your energy and I want your money to go towards certain things at certain times. I even, wanna, I even want you to, to think about not having food for a while. And it's like everything that we worry about, he just has, he's hit on. And if you're anything like me, you're like, Jesus, if I take so much time to pray, if I take more time to pray, then how, how am I gonna get this thing done? And so if I'm praying, then, then I can, I know this sounds so backwards, but like I could worry about the time I'm giving up for that and money everybody seems to stress about money and Jesus is like hey sometimes you need to give that money away and and if you're anything like me you're like well <laughs> I didn't have enough anyway right and now you've asked me to give and and I, what am I supposed to like now I'm just stressed out about about money and man I mean I'm more stressed about everything when I don't have a good meal in me I'm, I'm more angry about everything I'm more everything negative inside of me when I haven't eaten a good meal and so Jesus is it's talked about fasting. It's like, well, if I fast, will I have the energy to accomplish, you know, this? And will I be able to do as good of a job? Will my brain function right so that I have the focus that I need? All of these things. And it's like everything Jesus says can elevate, elevate the worry inside of us. And then Jesus says, therefore, that's why it's there. I tell you, do not worry about your life. He gives a few specific things there, but I think what he is getting at is that we should not worry. In fact, in Greek, the, the do not worry is emphatic. It's like it has an exclamation point after it. He's saying like you, even though all of these things I've said might generate some level of worry in you, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your food or your clothes or anything. Do not worry. These are the normal things we worry about. Now, here's what I do. Maybe, maybe you're nothing like me. 
Maybe you barely worry, and this is a stupid sermon and all these things. But if you're anything like me, then when you, when you read a command not to worry, for me, the first excuse would be, yeah, but those first century Jewish people, like, they didn't, they didn't have anything to worry about, right? They didn't have social media, and they didn't have the job expectations. I mean, they kind of farmed, and, and then they ate. <laughs> but, but think about this. How much more would you worry if you were living in their time, and you were living pretty much hand-to-mouth? I mean, every day you woke up and you worked, and then by the end of that work day, you would, you would have enough money uh, to eat. So if you skipped a day of work, it wasn't like you had paid time off, right? Like you just skipped a day of work, and then that meant for a lot of families that you wouldn't have a meal because you missed a day. So now you were just behind in food. Adding to that, at the time Jesus wrote, there was famines and there was floods and so the food became more difficult to get it would raise the value of food and cause it to be more expensive but also a lot of people were agriculture in their work and so it's harder to find work and if you do find work they're probably working you harder we've seen that when our jobs when we our job market is not very good you work harder and you work for less money and 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 a lot of these people were just slaves to getting the the things that they needed and when they worried about clothes, I mean, we are like, well, do I look good enough? You know, did I dress right for the occasion? When they worried about clothes, they worried about having the clothes they needed to stay warm at night, to live, to stay alive. And I really, I, I just, I know my excuse would be like, well, they didn't have anything to worry about. But I would, I would just argue with myself and maybe with you that, that they had far more to worry about than we do today. I never wonder if I'm going to be able to eat. Never worry about that. I never worry about if I'm going to have clothes. Sometimes I worry about needing to get rid of clothes, uh, but I never worry about having the clothes that I need to stay warm. Very few people in our area, and, and frankly, very few Americans worry about having the clothes they need to stay warm and the food they need uh, to stay alive. And, and so here we cannot make the excuse that they would not have understood us. We must, we must look and say, well, if Jesus said that to them, then that means he would, he would be saying it to us as well. I mean, we worry about staying alive. I get that. We worry about cancer and terrorists and, and guns and all of those things. But we also add a million other things to the list. And we just do it without ever questioning whether it is right or wrong wrong and, and so Jesus says don't worry and <laughs> like that's not very good advice right that's like telling somebody not to be depressed anymore it's like hey don't be depressed and like oh good I did it now you know like <laughs> that doesn't happen because we all don't want to worry anyway and so if it was as easy as somebody saying don't do it then we'd we'd be done with it right but Jesus then launches into a, a series of statements that I think really are meant to help us not worry I don't think that they're meant to stress us out more. Like, I, can't, I haven't done that. I haven't figured that out. I think they're really meant to help us obey this command that Jesus has just given us. Listen to Matthew 6, 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Basically, he points to this idea that, that as Christians, we believe, not everybody maybe believes this, but as Christians, we believe that the purpose of our lives goes far beyond anything physical, right? It goes far beyond any of the stuff that we worry about most of the time. Steve Jobs, in his commencement speech at Stanford, it's very famous. Look it up online. It's incredible. Uh, 
It's funny because somebody was bashing Apple earlier, and now I'm quoting Steve Jobs. It wasn't intentional, Douglas. Uh, But Steve Jobs in his commencement speech says, Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. What's fascinating about Steve Jobs saying that is, is, as far as I know, Steve Jobs never became a Christian and, and never really believed in an afterlife. For him, it was just the recognition that we would die uh, that, that allowed him to just push forward and say, well, I'll do what I want to do because, because I don't have that much time, you know, and so let's, let's press on and not worry about what everybody thinks. I'll do it, you know, to the best of my ability. But for us who are Christians... We believe in this incredible story called the gospel. Basically that we're all sinners, that, that Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died, he lived sinlessly and then he died on a cross. And then he came back to life. And because of that, if we place our faith in him, if we, if we choose to follow Jesus because we believe that story to be true, then someday we get to spend eternity in heaven. And so it's like this, mag- Jesus is saying like this magnified version of what Steve Jobs said. Like Steve Jobs is like, well, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how hard you work or how much you stress, it, you're going to die anyway. And Jesus is like, well, you're going to live anyway. Like life is about far more than the stuff you worry about. It's about something eternal. And, and if we're Christians, then the, the first way that we begin to lessen worry in our lives is by remembering that this body and the things that we worry about are really unimportant compared to our souls that will last for eternity. Now, I don't know, but most of us, I don't believe, sit around worrying about the development of our spiritual lives. And I don't know if that's right or wrong. I don't know if Jesus could like say, hey, you're allowed to worry about, you know, developing spiritually and leading people to salvation. That's okay. I don't know what Jesus would say there. But I just don't think we do that. I don't think Jesus needed to take time out of his Sermon on the Mount speech to say, look, I know you're so worried about developing a stronger prayer life. And and that's okay. But Jesus is saying, like, all the things we worry about are not important given that we were created to be eternal beings, that we will spend, if we're Christians, eternity in heaven, that all of these things that we worry about will eventually go away. In America, we have this, this, I think, epidemic where we just, we're so obsessed with living longer. And it's weird to me because it's like, it's like an extra five years. I mean, on the whole scale of eternity, and even if you don't look at eternity, on the whole scale of human history, like you getting an extra five years is not really that big a deal. And Americans are obsessed with it. Now, look, I, I exercise. I used to until three weeks ago anyway. Um, I, I, I eat well, um, I, except for the next couple months, right? Like I, I, I do, I, ta- I think those things are important. I just don't think they're important because we want to stay alive for an extra couple of years. Because we were created to be far more than these physical beings that, uh, the, the, you know, they get, they get 80 years instead of 75 or whatever. And everything we worry about, it's just not going to matter in the end. It's not going to matter because we're eternal and we will be in heaven if we're Christians. I mean, you worry about your job, like eventually you're going to retire or lose it or whatever. It's not going to be there forever. And so work hard, do your best, but be done with it. You worry about your children, but why? Like do your best to raise them well and then send them off into the world and then they're going to make choices and do their thing. Do your best, do your best, but then don't worry about it. We worry about what people think. They don't really matter. You know, what they think doesn't matter in any way. 
Jesus is like, hey, it's bigger than this. So these little things are not worth worrying about because it's bigger than this. And then he, he switches gears and he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, I mean, look at the birds. I actually think this is pretty good advice. Um, just as far as lessening your stress, like if you just take some time out of our days and, and, and look at the birds. We actually had a pigeon. I, I told you this in a sermon already, but it was, it was a cool part of our summer. A pigeon laid her eggs in the tree just off of our deck. And, and so we kind of spent the whole summer watching, watching this, this pigeon sit on her eggs. That doesn't make it sound as exciting as I felt like it was, but she, she just sat there. And in some ways, it, it was a stress reducer. I mean, just watching this bird do nothing, you know, and it's kind of cool and it's kind of fun. And then the, the babies were born and they grew up in a couple of days. It was, it was cool. And so I think that's just good advice. Look at the birds. Like, I think we'd all just need to sit around and look at the birds a little more. Stop looking at our phones so much and, and take a time to go walk in nature. But, but that's not Jesus' point here. He says, look at them, they don't, they don't do anything to have the food that they need, and yet they have food. I, I don't know how smart most birds are, they seem pretty dumb to me. Uh, they have very small heads, and so their brains cannot be very big. That's my scientific data for you this morning. But, but, but they figure out how to get food, and, and we know it's because God has created them, and then he has found a way through the kind of biological, natural process to sustain them. And Jesus looks at us and says, well, look, the birds aren't stressed. They have food. And you are much more valuable than they are. So why are you worried like God isn't paying attention to the needs that you have? The answer, obviously, is that we are more valuable. And, and I love that this fell here because I, I, my last sermon series was called You Matter. And the whole series was about how we matter. And in large part, a, a full sermon was devoted to saying we matter more than animals. And if you think animals are cool and important, which I do, then, then you have to recognize the, the incredible value that humanity has because we've been created in the image and likeness of God and with an eternal purpose. And, and so Jesus is like, look, these birds aren't worrying, but, but they have what they need, and you're so much more value. In Matthew 10, 31, he even says, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than a bird. And if God is taking care of the animal kingdom and plant life, then he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of uh, of you. And, and I would point back now that, to this, that he, that he again, and we saw this in the first couple of sermons, that he says your heavenly father. It's a reminder of how God views you who are Christians. He views you as his children. We have been adopted, the book of Romans says. That's a beautiful picture, right? And, and, and you know that, I mean, I know that when my dad is around, I worry less. I remember uh, two times in my life where I thought, I can't believe my dad's not here. This was as an adult, but I didn't feel like an adult yet. I was still, you know, 21 or whatever. And it's like, why, I, my dad should be here. This isn't, and one was just so random. I remember driving into California. I was going down to seminary down there. So I was four years past college. I don't think I, or four years after high school. And I don't think I'd ever driven into California or uh, yeah, into California by myself. My dad had always been there. We'd go into Disneyland or whatever. And I just remember thinking like, this is weird. I think my dad should be driving right now, you know, because he just took care of these things and made the plans and figured out the hotels and it's just how it worked. And this other time, 
I was a youth pastor here. Some of the people here remember this pretty well. Uh, and, and, and we were going over the mountain to go to, to Sun River. We, were, we had rented a house there with the youth group, and, and we were going to stay there. And, and we're going over, and this guy gets a flat tire on his trailer, so AAA can't come because it's a trailer. But what happens is he got the flat tire right where cell phone service stopped, and I was the car in front of him. And so I drove along my merry way uh, with, I don't know who was in my car, but happy, you know, whatever, no big deal. Got to the other side, my phone, 100 billion, not exactly, messages. Uh, Hey, you got to figure this out. We have a flat tire. We got kids outside on the highway, (laughs) Highway 22. It's Ah, uh, Brandon, how many degrees? Do you remember off the top of your head? Brandon was there. It was freezing cold. I want to say it was in the teens cold, and kids are playing football on the side of Highway 22. Uh, so get back here. So I end up uh, going into Sisters, getting some van that I couldn't figure out the seat, and I'm hunched over like this, trying to drive this car back over uh, to pick up the gear that's in this trailer. And, and uh, somebody was with me. One of the youth kids went with me. Uh, just to be nice. And, and I remember, I remember thinking, I want my dad. <laughs> that, that was the thought. Like, like I was five years old again. Like my, my dad would have a plan right now. Uh, and, and I'm sure my kids look at me that way. They're dumb for doing so. But, uh, but it's like they're looking at me going, this guy's got to have a plan. And I'm looking at Bryn going, do you have a plan? You know, like what are we doing here? But this is what Jesus points to here. I mean, we're not like the family pet. We're God's children if we've given our lives to him. And so why worry when our dad is taking care of even the family pet? We know that he's going to take care of us too. And then he says the most practical thing maybe in all of scripture. Uh, in verse 27, he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. I, I mean, that's, I, for me, like that's easy to remember, right? Like we will never, we will never ever add to our lives even to the value of our lives by worrying and and I know that you probably wouldn't vocalize this but somewhere inside of us is this thing where where you would look at me and I would look in a mirror and say like Chad I would love to obey this command not to worry I'd love to look at the birds uh, and I would love to just focus on you know God's interactions with me and how he cares about me and all that but if I stop worrying then and then you fill in that blank right like if I stop worrying, I might miss the, the cancer spot on me. If I stop worrying, then I, I might not have enough money. If I stop worrying, then I won't raise my kids well. If I stop worrying, then my family structure might fall apart. If I stop worrying, then I give up control because isn't worry just some form of control? If I stop worrying, then a bad thing will happen. That's how we, that's how we think, I, I think. And Jesus is like, worry has no positive effect on the outcome. And that's, that's true, isn't it? Uh, in fact, what we saw from Charles Mayo, I mean, a man can worry himself to death, but he cannot worry himself into a longer life. Worrying has no positive effect on whatever situation you're worrying about. It can only have a negative effect on that situation. I, I think about like the things that we feel the need to contain some control over. Like, let me give you one, our education, right? I spent, man, so much of my life worrying about my education. Probably not worrying enough, but, uh, but worrying about my education. And, and then I think about this guy, a friend of mine named Brian Gilmore. And I think I've told his story here before, but he was a valedictorian. He was a year older than me in my high school. Valedictorian, went to Willamette University to play football and uh, got 
four or five concussions in a two-week period that went undiagnosed. And, and Brian had to drop out of school for a semester. He's a dentist now, doing fine. Uh, but, but he had to drop out of school for a semester because he could no longer do simple math, like three plus eight. His brain couldn't do it anymore. And, and I look at Brian's story and I think, man, he could have spent his whole life worrying about, you know, his education. And then all of a sudden, just by the nature of life, he no longer, he no longer could do it. He just couldn't do it anymore. I, I think of, um, you know, finances and I think of like the recession that we've had, you know, recently in the Great Depression in our country's history. So many guys that probably were so worried about, you know, the market and if it was going up or down and just so stressed about it. And, and all their stress didn't lead to it staying fine. It just crashed, right? And a lot of people lost a lot of money. I think about myself and my health and a lot of you know this, but I have MS, and it doesn't affect me, so uh, I'm not in the mood for your, your pity this morning. Sometimes I am, and then I'll tell you, but, uh, but this morning I'm not, and, and so uh, I would just say, like, I mean, I'm going along, I'm 20, I don't know, 24 maybe years old, played college baseball, good athlete, and all of a sudden, my whole bodily went, body went tingly, and I could no longer throw a ball or type or, uh, you know, do anything, it felt like. I could just kind of lay there and, and do nothing, and uh, I couldn't catch a frisbee, I'll tell you that. And, uh, and I look at that and I say, I, what would worrying have done for me? I mean, I could have spent all 24 years stressing about my health and then MS would have come anyway. Worry has no positive impact. It only has a negative impact. So uh, why worry? And then in 28 through 30, Jesus says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? I mean, this point's not dissimilar to the last point, but, uh, but he says it in a way that I think is more staggering. Solomon, if you don't know, was a king in Israel, and he, he may be, by some historians' accounts, the most wealthy human ever to live. In fact, some people think that he was just far wealthier than Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or uh, Rockefeller or any of those guys. Like, if you took his wealth and you applied it in our kind of standards today, that he'd just be far wealthier. You can read about his ridiculous wealth in First Kings 10, uh, 14 through 27. Uh, but just to give you a picture, he was receiving 25 tons of gold a day. Uh, and he had a, cities, multiple cities for his chariots. And, and so he's like rich, right? He's like very rich. And, and, then, and then Jesus says, but he was not even dressed as beautifully as the flowers and the field. And I think we can understand this because we have like the red carpets during the Oscars or whatever. And you look at those people and all their money and all their fame and they've been, you know, given the fanciest of all fancy dresses to wear. And some of them look stupid, right? Like some of them look ridiculous. And you think, well, that's not even good looking. But here's, here's what I thought about this week. I don't think any person ever has walked into a field full of wild flowers and gone, eh, it's all right. Like no, nobody does that, right? Like it's always breathtaking. It's always amazing. It's always stunning. And Jesus says here, like God's doing that for the grass. And grass now, by the way, you make your yards look better. But for them, grass was just something to be burned in the fire to cook with. And God is making it look beautiful. So why would you think that God is not taking care of you? Why would you think that? And then he gets, I think, right to the point in verse 30. He says, you of little faith. 
Here's what I'm convinced of. Worry and faith are like a teeter-totter. The more you grow in worry, the less faith you seem to have. And the more you grow in faith, the less worry you seem to have. I, I, don't, I think they go like this. I think as our faith is strong, and sometimes that can be in a moment, right? Like where you really trust and trust and trust in God, then your worry will be very little. But when, when your worry is high, I would just imagine that if you looked inside, you'd say, yeah, I don't really trust God very much right now. I think worry and faith are like a teeter-totter. In fact, I listened to this story in Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Then he got into the boat, that's Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Did you see what he said there? I mean, they're stressed out, and I, I mean, they're scared, and maybe we could make a case that that's different than worry, but I, I would say they're probably scared and stressed, right? Like, what are we going to do? We're going to die, and then they wake Jesus up, and he says, you of little faith. I think the number one thing that we can do to lessen worry is to grow our faith. I think if we want to worry less, then we need to grow in our faith. And I would ask, if you're a big-time worrier, how seriously are you taking growing in your trust of God? I don't just mean faith necessarily in, in kind of the, the general way. We place our faith in Jesus. But I mean in like that I trust him to take care of me because I know that I matter more than the birds. I know that he is my heavenly father. I mean, how much are you doing to grow in that? Because I think if you'll grow in that, then you'll you'll worry less. John MacArthur says this thing and in a very John MacArthur way. You believe that God can redeem you, that God can save you from sin, break the shackles of Satan, take you from hell to heaven, put you into his kingdom, give you eternal life, but you just don't think he can get you something to wear and eat the next couple of days? Pretty ridiculous. Isn't that good? I love that. I mean, I'm trusting God, me personally, I'm trusting God for my eternity. Like when I die, when I go into the grave, I'm trusting God that he's going to take me to live in, in a place called heaven that will be stunning and perfect and awesome and fun. But I'm like, you know, can you get the, the thing we baptize people in full? <laughs> like that's what I'm worrying about for a week and a half? I mean, and there's a chance God says no to things, but then how dare I not trust that that was right? I mean, if next week the, the baptismal doesn't get filled up, I'm going to blame a couple people here and be really angry for a minute. But here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to say, well, uh, apparently God has a better plan in mind. I don't know what it is, but apparently God has a better plan in mind. Maybe when you go down Willamette, I don't know, uh, but, but we would figure something out because if God, God is perfectly capable of getting some water into a feeding trough, is he not? Uh, I mean, if you think about it, like God parted the Red Seas. And so if God has that much control over the waters of the earth, then he can probably fill up this one little thing. And if he chooses to not say yes to that, then maybe we can learn to trust that God has something else in mind for us. Uh, Mounts, who, who is a, writes commentaries, he says, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. 
if you want to shrink your worry, then grow your faith. I think that's what you have to do. And then there's just this uh, last couple things in, in verses 31 and 32. He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Are the things you worry about exactly the same things that somebody without a relationship with God that isn't a Christian would worry about? Uh, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I'm, I'm glad that you are here this morning. I would just tell you that, that it's going to be really hard for you to break the chain of worry apart from a relationship with God based on all the things I've already said, right? Like, I mean, we're trusting God as our Heavenly Father. We're believing that He's on our side, that He's capable and powerful to do the things that are best for us. We believe all that. And if you don't, then you're just kind of left to your own stress that it's not going to work out. But I would just ask the question, like, are the things you're worrying about exactly the same as the pagans, which is just a word. I know it sounds mean. It's not a mean word. It just means people who are not God-believing, God-serving, God-loving people. That's all it means. And I would venture out on a limb and say that most of us, we worry about exactly the same stuff as everybody else, and it shouldn't be that way. I said earlier that I don't know what Jesus would think about us worrying about our prayer lives, but most of us just don't. So if you're worried about your prayer life, if you're worried about reaching the lost, if you're worried about helping our church experience and express the glory of God, if you're worried about those things, I don't know, like maybe that's okay. But you're probably not. And so don't be like somebody that doesn't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, don't be like those people. And stress about all the regular stuff. We should have bigger fish to fry. We should be focused on heavenly things as Jesus has already told us in this, this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he says, here's, here's what you do instead in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. We probably worry because we're not solely focused on expanding Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness. God's kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom is God's rule and reign on earth. Uh, that is that, that we believe that God's kingdom is here in some ways, but also that many people have not embraced him as Lord and King, that many people do not serve him, that we ourselves don't give all parts of our lives to him. And the first thing that we should be focused on here, according to Jesus, in the context of worry, is we should be focused on moving Jesus, God's rule and reign forward. In us and in other people. Our focus should be on helping people live more fully for God, on helping people accept Jesus as their Savior, and on helping ourselves, moving ourselves forward in our ability to give all of ourselves to the God of the universe. Righteousness is not, it's not like Jesus is having these two giant separate things. Righteousness generally means a right relationship. I know it's a big kind of spiritual, churchy word, but, but when we read it, you can read it as a right relationship. And sometimes uh, in first century uh, Jewish life, you could use this word for the right relationship between a father and a son, a husband and a wife. It was just the right relationship. But when you read it, most of the time in the Bible, it's about a right relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying is like, seek first his kingdom, but also then with that seek first, being in the best, most right, most perfect relationship with God that you can be. I just don't think that's our focus. It's like, do I look good and do people like me and did I say the wrong thing and do I have cancer and, uh, and do I have enough money and you know, am I moving forward Is if I have power or whatever. It's all these things. And Jesus is like, let me tell you what to focus on so that you don't worry. You focus on moving 
my kingdom forward and you focus on having the best relationship with me that you can. And then you won't worry. And this is, this is just so, it's practical. It doesn't feel as practical as the statement before, but it's really practical, right? Because if I, let's say I lose my job, right? Let's say you all vote tomorrow and you fire me. If my number one focus is God's kingdom and my relationship with him, then I look at that as an opportunity. Look at how I can respond to this and show the world what it looks like to be let go in the right way. And, and look at what God's gonna how God is going to help me grow from this and, and develop into the guy that he wants me to be. If I'm focused on paying my bills, if that's my number one focus, I'm just going to be stressed. You fired me tomorrow and angry at you. Focus on these things. And then this just the last, last verse right here. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's another practical statement worrying doesn't help tomorrow it might hurt it but it doesn't help tomorrow so you just focus on what is in front of you today and you do your best to move jesus kingdom and his righteousness forward really what it comes down to is this and i'm done worry is a symptom of a small faith it's a symptom of a life that is not focused on god the things he can do for you the things that he wants to do in you and the things that you ought to be doing for him and so I hope that all of us today would no longer accept worry. When we leave here, we would no longer accept worry. Uh, but instead, every time that we worry, we would do our best to say, what needs to grow in my faith in order for this worry to go away? And then we'd try to grow our faith in that way. Let me pray that we'll do that. Lord Jesus, I know that everybody here worries. They raise their hands, God. Um, and you know what a big struggle it is for me and... I mean, I've preached on this passage of Scripture so many times, and yet I still fight this fight, God. It's a struggle. Uh, struggle that's bad for me, and, and it's a struggle that is reflective of, of uh, me not being in the best relationship with you that I can be in. And so I pray for me. I pray for everybody who sits in front of me. I pray for those listening online and those who will listen online that, God, instead of accepting worry, that we would that we, God, every time we start to worry, we would turn our attention towards you. And we would think about the ways that we can grow our faith, but we would also just think about how much you love us, how much you care about us, how much we matter to you, God, as your children. Lord, for people uh, that aren't Christians, I pray that they would give their lives to you. Uh, man, I just, I think worry would have destroyed me if it wasn't for you, God. It would have destroyed me. And I can't imagine if I didn't have you to turn to, Lord, uh, how much more I would worry and how much more that anxiety would, would hurt my life. And so I pray, God, that people who don't know you, who have not committed their lives to you, who are not Christians, they would become Christians. They would believe the gospel story that I told earlier and they would give their lives to you. And I pray that all of us, God, all of us would worry less because of our relationship with you and our faith in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.